Coming up, I had to get this off my chest, a celebration of Chris Kreider and some other stuff that I want to talk about. So all that and more coming up next on the talk show. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back, episode 62. I'm going to try and record as uh, often as possible because one of the things I love about sports is there's always something to talk about. Uh, The Yankees game just ended. They beat the Blue Jays, so they split the series with them, and it was quite an interesting series. Um, I am currently in uh, Detroit, Michigan. So I essentially have finished my overnight shift last night and then hopped on a flight this morning. Um, So a little bit tired, wanted to record a little bit earlier in the day because I actually had some things to talk about, and so here we are. But with the Yankees, look, I'm glad. They won. They got it done. Uh, the Yankees are going to be here actually on Tuesday, so I'm going to go see them in person for the first time this year in Detroit on the road represent. So that'll be fun, uh, and they should be riding pretty high because they are going to Baltimore where they usually crush. Now, thing is they moved the wall back in Baltimore, so I don't know how well they're going to hit there, but I imagine they'll still hit pretty good as it's mostly the Orioles pitching that contributed to them hitting that way against Baltimore and not necessarily the left field uh, wall being short and about 300 feet from home plate. But aside from that, a lot of other stuff going on. The Rangers, I previewed their game last time they played against Carolina. They ended up losing that game, which I'm not pissed about because if you know Rangers talk, if you're a Rangers fan, you know there's a lot of back and forth about whether you want the Rangers to win the Metropolitan Division or not win the Metropolitan Division. That's a big conversation going on back and forth now. Uh, I'm a proponent of win games. You know what I mean? This team is confident. They think they could beat anyone. So it doesn't really matter who they have to play in the first round of the playoffs. Yes, it would be nice to play Pittsburgh, a team that they've handled pretty well so far uh, this season. But we know that that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Remember in that weird bubble season where they totally dominated, dominated Carolina all year. And then they go to the bubble and they get absolutely blown out by Carolina uh, in the bubble there. So it doesn't necessarily mean that because they played well against them in the regular season that they're going to continue to dominate them in the postseason. So I say don't play that game. Try and win as many games as you can. Carolina lost again tonight. So the Rangers lose that night. And then I'm really not upset at all because I'll tell you why later. They end up winning the next game. But one of the things I'm going to talk about is uh, that I'm not upset. What's funny is I finished recording and all these things come up. So I finished recording and, well, first of all, the games happened that night. So immediately there's something new to talk about. Like I said, part of why I love sports. I always talk. I'm always looking for something to talk about. Not that I have a hard time doing that, but sports is always new things to talk about. Immediately when I finish recording, all of a sudden thoughts come flowing in. And then as I listen to the podcast, more thoughts come flowing in. So uh, I wanted to record, get back on here. Maybe I should do a daily show. I don't know. Uh, but we'll see. If somebody pays me to do a daily show, I'll do it. I'm your guy. The first thing I actually ta- thought about because I listened back to what I was talking about about the Knicks is a lot of times we say this with young teams when they're showing signs of improving that they're going to be a great team going forward. We talk about how many close games they're playing. Like, wow, this team was playing really well. They kept it close all game and then they just couldn't finish. They, they lost at the end. The Knicks did that a ton this season. So that was just another point that I didn't make uh, on the previous episode, and I wanted to point out because I think it's an important factor when you're looking at uh, teams and whether or not you can consider them to be a significant uh, improving team as opposed to a team taking a step back. Another thing I didn't talk about is something that I saw a TikTok about this uh, earlier today was 
that the Warriors had, I think, 50 missed games for Clay Thompson, or maybe it wasn't Clay, but 20 for Clay, 50 for Draymond, 20 for Steph. Uh, and you don't hear them making any excuses. They're going in the playoffs. They are riding high, and they are ready to compete in the playoffs. And you don't hear them making any excuses or talking about it at all. And not only that, they won 53 games. They were the third seed in the Eastern Conference. And like I said, Andrew Wiggins, not an all-star. So you can't say, oh, look, they have other all-stars who stepped up. Although I did think Jordan Poole played really well. But those guys had a lot of entries. They could have talked about, oh, hey, we had this guy missing and that guy missing. And one of the things about the Warriors, don't count them out. Because when they were healthy and Steph went on Draymond's podcast. Draymond Green has a podcast for Colin Cowherd's network. I think it's the Volume Sports or whatever. Um, and he went on and said, hey, the goal was always for me to be back for the first game of the playoffs. First game of the playoffs, I'm back. I'm ready to go. He's ready. And remember how dominant this team was early in the year. Everyone was talking about, wow, the Warriors, the Warriors, the Warriors. And then we kind of forget. So if they can get back to that form, I'm not saying they can because all these guys were hurt. They didn't play together, although we don't know what's going on behind closed doors in practice. They can be a scary team at make a run. The last thing I want to talk about is I talked about the Philadelphia Phillies and how much I love them. They're my adopted team this year. And an interesting story happened that night with Alec Baum. He was the third baseman. He's not a great defensive third baseman. He's really a DH, should be a DH. The problem is the Phillies have a bunch of guys who are not great defensive players. So they end up throwing him at third base a bunch, and he makes three hours. Um, and then he gets a routine ground ball, makes the play, throws it to first. And the entire Philly crowd gives him a standing ovation sarcastically like, wow, you finally got a play done. And you see him look to D.D. Gregorius and go, I effing hate this place. Most fan bases would react to that like, oh, come on, you can't handle it. You can't handle the pressure. We're going to boo you. I mean, it's the same with Julius Randle booing the crowd. It's the same we saw it with um, Francisco Lindor last year in New York with the Mets booing the crowd. So a lot of times that's just not a good look. But Baum handled it totally different than any of those guys. After the game, they ask him, did you say that? He says, yes, I said it. In the moment, I was upset. I was down. I made a couple of mistakes. I wanted to play better. I was upset with myself. And I said something that I didn't mean. I obviously love this place. He owned it and he nipped it in the bud. And the next time he came up, the place gave him a standing ovation because they appreciate that he was honest about it. And he just said what actually happened. And he addressed it. And it was over. And they gave him a standing ovation because they're a great sports city and they actually appreciate that guy. All right. I want to talk about a few things on this episode. Like I said, um, just some thoughts that came to my head. And I don't know how long I'm going to go, but a few different things that I'm going to get to. Uh, and that'll be the whole episode. So the first thing is Clayton Kershaw. So that's the biggest story that's been going on yesterday. And I want to talk about it because I had a few different thoughts. And most of the thoughts uh, that mo I've heard from most people have been really singular. It's really been one common theme. So what happened was Clayton Kershaw through seven innings. It was his first start of the season. He's coming off an injury. He did not pitch all of last year. He didn't pitch in the shortened spring training this year. Um, that's not true. He was he did pitch most of last year, but he was hurt uh, in the playoffs. So it's his first start in a while, and he goes out. He's obviously one of the greatest pitchers of all time, but the last few seasons, he has had some nagging injuries. He throws seven innings, only 80 pitches, has 13 strikeouts, and did not allow a base runner. Now, there's a difference between a perfect game and a no-hitter, and this was a perfect game. Now, a perfect game has only happened 23 times in baseball's history. And, of course, Dave Roberts decided to take him out. And if you really listen to the post-game press conferences between Dave Roberts, you listen to Clayton Kershaw, what he said after the game, it was kind of a group decision. Clayton Kershaw never really said, oh, I want to stay in. I need to stay in. It was kind of like understood that I'm coming out because I've thrown 80 pitches. And if I don't come out now, then you're in a weird spot because let's say I have a lot of pitches in the eighth inning, then I'm only three outs away. You can't take me out then. Obviously, if he gives up a walk, then it's not a perfect game anymore. It's not as uh, historic. And just to put it in perspective, there have been 220,000 baseball games played in the history of Major League Baseball. 220,000. 
only 23 times was there ever a perfect game. So this is not something that happens. This is something you could go years without it happening. And the first thing I thought of when I heard those numbers, that, was th- that statistic, was I thought of Armando Galarraga, who should have had the 24th perfect game. And Jim Joyce, the umpire, uh, made the wrong call at first base. And I felt even more for that guy. But do you realize what kind of history is on the line? Obviously, the main thing is to win. And you want this guy to be ready for your team long term. But if you're trying to attract fans to the game, if you're trying to make people want to watch this game... A perfect game is a moment in baseball that is unlike any other moment in any other sport. In any other sport, you could have a guy going off for 60 points in basketball. And it's not the type of thing where you're calling your dad and you're gathering around the TV to get to see how many points he gets. A guy might have three goals in the game in hockey. There's never a moment in baseball where everyone's starting to tune in when they start getting that notification and the word starts spreading. This guy has a perfect game, especially that those final three outs, those final six outs even. And I think a lot of people saw once he was pulled, they turned off the game. They didn't even care. And so you're chasing fans away. I really think the entire mentality that Clayton Kershaw had when you listen to him after the game was he was never even phased by it. It didn't even occur to him because he knew he wasn't going to go past a certain point. He had reached his limit. And so when he was perfect through seven innings, and by the way, his he was extremely efficient because if you threw seven innings, faced, well, it's, well, it's 27 hitters for the whole game, so do the math real quick. It's 21 hitters, right, through seven innings. And you face those 21 hitters, and you struck out 13 of them, and it's only 18 pitches. That means he was extremely efficient. He's averaging about 11 pitches per inning. That's insane. And two strikeouts per inning, right? So it's really, you have to at least get six strikes to get two strikeouts per inning and only five other pitches outside of that. So he was extremely efficient through the first seven innings. You'd think that he, if he was going to finish the perfect game, he would continue to be efficient. And if not, he would have given up a base runner. And then there's no question. You could just take him out. So I would definitely leave him in for the eighth inning. But Clayton Kershaw knew from the start that he wasn't going to finish that game. And you see when you watch it and you watch him talk about it, he was kind of like, yeah, I didn't really care. And it was really weird because he should appreciate what the, he means to the game. He is not just a, any starter. He's not Mark Burley throwing a perfect game. He is one of the great starters that we have ever seen in baseball throwing a perfect game. It would be such a moment and everyone would watch it. And I think Clayton Kershaw is going to regret this because he may not pitch seven perfect innings again. And I tried to look it up to see because everyone's talking about how rare perfect games are. I don't know how rare throwing seven perfect innings are, um, but I imagine it's pretty rare. People don't go through the first 21 batters of a game and retire all of them in order. It just doesn't happen that often or we'd be talking about it way more often. And he had an opportunity to do something that never gets done. And he essentially takes himself out of the game. That's my problem with it. My problem is that he didn't care. It didn't mean something to him. And here's where I'm conflicted, though, because everyone is on my side. Everyone thinks it's bad for baseball. It's a bad look for Kershaw. It's a bad look for Dave Roberts, the Dodgers manager. But I always talk about how the main thing in all of sports is winning. And I always hate when House of Highlights posts, oh, this guy had 45 points tonight and he hit a bunch of threes and he had a bunch of highlight reel dunks. And they don't mention that he lost in that game. I hate that. For some reason, this feels different. The reason they took him out is because he has injury concerns in the past. They want him to be healthy. This is a team, a really good Dodgers team that has a chance to win a World Series. And if they do win a World Series, he's going to have to be a big part of their team in the rotation for the entire season and in the postseason. And if you fizzle him out, if he got hurt early in the season and all of a sudden he missed time and was out for the year, it would really hurt this team's chance of winning. And if the whole goal is winning, then you have to appreciate the mentality that they had that Clayton Kershaw 
was willing to sacrifice his own immortality, his own name in the record books forever as one of the 24 pitchers who ever threw a perfect game for the team. So isn't that admirable? I don't know. That's where I'm conflicted. It still doesn't sit right with me, and I don't think it ever will. I think Clayton Kershaw will eventually regret regret this. Uh, another point that I heard this morning that Boomer Esiason made on the radio was Clayton Kershaw is actually in a contract year, and maybe if he wasn't in a contract year, he would have been fine going out there because he has security long term. But because he's in a kind of prove it contract year, he's on a one year deal where after this year he's going to become a free agent again. He was like, "Hey, I need to pitch all season. I need to stay healthy." Um, and so maybe that was part of it. I hope that didn't play a role for him, but that's the story. And I just wanted to give that other perspective of it's all about the team. It's all about the goal. It's all about winning. Uh, I wanted to give that spin because I haven't heard it discussed anywhere else. The next thing that happened after I recorded was the Brooklyn Nets beat the Cleveland Cavaliers, which sets up one of the great series we're going to have and probably the best series of the first round of the NBA playoffs. And that is Boston and Brooklyn starting on Sunday. Here's why it's the best first round series. The unknown of Brooklyn, they can win the finals or they can fizzle out. And the same goes for Boston. Now, we know how good Boston was the second half of the season. We know how bad they were early in the season. Once they started to come together, they really started to feel like a team that was going to be extremely difficult to beat. The defense, obviously Robert Williams gets hurt, um, but the defense was the best in the league. Marcus Smart started to find his role. Jason Tatum has developed into a young superstar. And Jalen Brown has become the great second piece to complement Jason Tatum. And the two Jays, the way they've been playing together, has been exceptional to watch. And all the role players knowing their roles and being accountable, they've become a really fun team. As far as Brooklyn, we saw it against Cleveland. They turn it on and off whenever they want. Like, they can play defense when they want to, like they did in the first half. And in the second half, they didn't play defense. And obviously, Kyrie knocking down, what was it, the first 12 shots he took in the game? KD picking his spots. He totally picked apart that team. He was actually distributing the ball to his teammates because he knew that at any point, he could get his. So I want to go back to... Um, the last few games. Obviously, last year, these two teams faced in the first round of the playoffs. Brooklyn won, and they won it in five games. But if you take a little deeper dive into that, you realize James Harden was awesome in that series. It was before he was hurt. He almost had a triple-double in each one of those games. Then we go to this year. In November, they faced each other, and Brooklyn won again. But again, James Harden was on this Brooklyn team and playing really well, especially in that game. Then Boston wins the last three games, the last three times they faced each other. But the first two... Neither Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving played. And then the last one is the game we all remember. Tatum goes for 54. They're dueling it out on that Sunday game. Tatum and KD going back and forth. KD had 37. Kyrie was awesome in that game. And then Kyrie makes all his comments about, oh, it's like a scorned girlfriend. They're so angry at me. They feel bad that I left. They hate me. I don't think they hate him. Kyrie Irving loves to talk about, oh, the Boston fans hate me. The Boston fans hate me. The Boston fans don't care about you. Yes, they love to boo you. They love to hate you. They love to try and get in your head. But you're talking about them like they had some sort of love affair with you and you mean something to them. You don't mean anything to them. You're just another loser who they feel like passed through. They don't feel the special connection that you feel and that all of a sudden you betrayed them. As far as that situation, it's going to be really interesting to see how it develops over the course of a seven-game series where if they play seven games, four of them are going to be played in Boston in front of those fans with Kyrie playing there. That's going to be really interesting to see how that plays itself out. Now, like I said before, Brooklyn can turn it on and off at any point. You have no idea what to expect. So if you told me that in this series, 
Brooklyn all of a sudden was just going to turn it on and KD was going to score 35 points a game. Kyrie was going to be insane. The role players were going to play well. Seth Curry was going to go off. And when they needed to, they were going to be able to get stops. I'd say, yeah, I could see it. I could see them winning in five games. I could see them sweeping the Celtics. And the flip side, if the Celtics are just like, here, KD, get your 35 points a game, that's fine. You're still not going to be able to stop us. And we're going to be able to defend everyone else because there's nobody else on this team. This Brooklyn team is not deep. What could be really cool is where some games it looks like KD and Brooklyn is unstoppable and some games it looks like Boston is unstoppable. And that will that will be ultimately what makes it a really fun series. Now, I think a couple of X factors here are number one, Robert Williams. Him being out has totally changed the Boston defense. Number two, can Brooklyn get stops? Like I said, their offense can produce. We know that. We know that Kyrie and KD are going to go off. We'll see what happens around them against this incredible Boston defense. But can the Nets be the ones to get stops late in games? Also, how many points? Because I said, there's a chance that KD and Kyrie could go off every game and Boston still wins in five games, right? That You could see that happening where, yeah, take your points. We're going to defend everyone else. We're still going to beat you. How many can you spot KD and Kyrie before you start to worry? Is it 70 combined points between the two of them? Just say, here, take 70 points between the two of you guys every game. We don't think the rest of your roster can get 35 points. That's possible. And who steps up for Boston? Late in games, I talked about this before, when the game slows down, they're going to trap Tatum. They're going to try and double him. Who's going to step up against him? And can this be Tatum's coming out party where he comes out as an absolute superstar, a guy who understands when the double team's coming, when he has to help a teammate who can play off ball a little bit and make plays off the ball to get himself open shots late in games. I think it's going to be that kind of scenario where we see that superstar version of Tatum that we saw in that 54-point game in Boston on that Sunday against Brooklyn. This is going to be really fun. And you want one wild card for the series? One, if this happens, this could shift the series one way or another. Ben Simmons playing in a limited role. I don't think he's going to. I said last episode, what, you think he's just going to come back and be Ben Simmons? You don't need him to be Ben Simmons. You need him to cut off ball a few times on offense just to take a little attention away from Kyrie and KD. And on defense, you just need him to help out against Jalen Brown and just be a smart defender that he is. You don't need him to be the guy that you're leaning on. He would just be another addition to this team to make the hustle plays run out in transition, grab rebounds, defend a little bit. Like we said, this team is going to have a hard time getting stops. So can he do that? Can he get into the proper mental state? Is he physically capable of doing that? I don't know, but that's going to be really interesting to see. I mentioned at the top of the podcast that I just watched the Yankee game. They won. They split the series with Toronto. They're four and three on the season. And despite at times, this team feeling an awful lot like last year's team. We win series. Hey, that's all we need to do. All we need to do is pile up series wins. Don't worry about it. Pile up series wins. I'm weirdly optimistic about this Yankees team. I don't know why. I can't really explain it. I think there's some sort of good juju, some sort of good vibe that this team has right now that they didn't have last year. I think it comes from Donaldson, who I know has struggled. I think it comes from Rizzo. I think Severino being back and the energy he displayed on the mound, especially tonight, and we'll get to him a little bit later. And the bullpen has been absolutely lights out. 
The Yankee pitching has been nuts. The bullpen has given up only seven runs so far in the first seven games this season, and I want to say they've pitched the bulk of the innings this season. If you were driving, by the way, because I was thinking about this, obviously the John Sterling call went viral where he thought that Giancarlo Stanton tied the game last night, and I've been in Yankee Stadium. There's a lot of times when the whole stadium all of a sudden jumps up on a deep fly ball to the outfield. One thing you have to do if you're a broadcaster, and I'm not a broadcaster, but I'd like to be, is look at the outfielder. If you're John Sterling, look at the guy. He was kind of drifting back. He looked like he had a beat on the ball the entire way, and the camera panned up, and you all you saw was the crowd and the ball, so you didn't see the outfielder running, and that's a mistake on the Yes Network's part or their camera crew. So if John Sterling was looking at the camera, then he obviously didn't see the outfielder just slowly drifting back to make that catch. But all I could think about was if I was driving in my car and I heard that call to tie the game in that spot, I would have killed John Sterling. As far as Garrett Cole, it's more than just, I know he looked better last night. You can't deny that. But he looks so irritable. I think the whole spider tag thing was a mental thing more than anything else. His spin rate is actually back up. And I know he's had some good starts since the spider tag thing. I think he's just in such a weird mental state right now where he looks irritated on the mound. He looks confused. The tipping the cap to an opposing player in the middle of a game, it's just not a competitive spirit. And I don't know how you get that back, but I, I think he's capable of still being a great pitcher. Obviously, I picked him to be the Cy Young this year. So I still think he's capable of being a really good pitcher. I think he needs to figure out maybe Severino can help him getting that juju back a little bit, that fierce competitor that that we saw at times last year and especially we saw when he was in Houston so that's that's the next thing and listen they got beat they got beat yesterday by a guy who I picked to win the American League MVP he hits three home runs in the game he hits the double I don't like tipping the cap to him after the game you could tip your cap to him all you want say yeah look look what he did he was great but during the game you want to be competitive you want to keep that competitive distance but then you turn around tonight and he strikes out four times so uh, and we'll get to tonight in a second I was rooting for Vladdy Guerrero Jr. to be okay and not be hurt when he got stepped on. I did not want him coming out of that game. A lot of fans would probably be like, it's taking so long. He should just come out. Why, why are we doing this? He may have gotten stitched up after the game. I knew that if he stayed in that game, he was going to be awesome because that's what Warriors do. When you're a great player, you get hurt, and you're able to stay in, you usually perform really well afterwards. And I still wanted him to play well because I want to root for greatness, even though it's against my team. I was hoping the Yankees could still win. If they got a few clutch hits, they still would have win. won. Still would have won. Yes. But they didn't. Um, me, as a podcaster, not a competitor, I'll tip my cap to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And you don't have to if you're Garrett Cole. As far as tonight goes, I think your confidence as a Yankee fan has to be at an all-time high after tonight. The way Severino looked... And the way he's really looked all season since coming back from the injury, he's looked insane. And he really made an adjustment. We saw that Vladdy Jr. was going to hit the fastball no matter where it was. It was in a couple of inches off the plate, and he still crushed it. So Severino adjusted. He threw him almost entirely all sliders and change-ups. And all Vladdy wanted to do was hit a fastball. And the Yankee pitching was like, sorry, you're just not going to get it, and you're going to strike out four times. That was an incredible adjustment. The offense, it comes from the bottom of the order. Those two guys at the bottom, IKF and Trevino, just putting the ball in play. This is what I talk about all the time. When Joey Gallo was up with a couple guys on and two outs, and he strikes out on three pitches, they show the numbers well. If you hit the ball really hard, your expected average, his expected average this season is 300 because 
he hits the ball hard every time. What you don't take into account when you look at all those numbers is you don't take into account that when you're swinging so hard because you want to hit the ball hard every time, you're going to swing and miss more often than not. So the guys who came up and were able to just put the ball in play, Trevino with a bloop single, Isaiah Kiner for Lefford bunting it down the line, that's what's more effective in those spots. Think about what happened in the bottom of the eighth. Right? Judge gets the double, and then they get a ground ball to the right side, and another ground ball to the right side. All of a sudden, a run scores. So like I said, in big spots, give me contact any day of the week over anything else. As far as Severino, I think the biggest thing for him that I've seen since he came back from the injury is his confidence to throw those off-speed pitches. He wasn't confident in his changeup the last time we saw him the way he is now. Um, So I think this has to be a really big confidence booster if you're a Yankee fan. This game was really good for this team. If you want to look at the negatives, I guess the one concern was our oldest Chapman in the ninth inning. Couldn't get it done. But Michael King coming out and slamming the door the way he did, he was pumped up to do it too. I thought the bullpen management has been masterful so far this season by Aaron Boone. And hopefully it'll continue. I think they've done a really good job. Uh, I think he's done a good job. And I'm telling you, there's just something a little bit different about this team that I haven't seen. All right, to the main point, to the reason I wanted to record today, the reason I needed to record a podcast. I'm sure we're going to mention it in the open, so you probably already heard. Uh, This is a celebration of Chris Kreider. So I mentioned before that the Rangers lost the game to Carolina, so they did not get first place in the Metropolitan Division. But I didn't care, partially because I don't necessarily want first place because I do want to face Pittsburgh, but I don't really care so much about that. Like I said, um, I'm not going to try and pick my opponents. You never know what happens with that. I think you have to go into the playoffs with the mentality that you can beat anyone. Yes, there are some easier and some lesser opponents, but you have to go in with the mindset, I could beat whatever is thrown at me. The reason that I am not so upset that the Rangers lost that game was because Chris Kreider, the Rangers' unnamed captain, scored his 50th goal of the season, only the fourth Ranger ever to score 50 goals in a season. Um, And if you want to understand why this means so much to me and why I'm just so obsessed with this guy and why this is a moment that was just so exciting for me as a Ranger fan and as a fan of this player, I'm going to try and break it down. First of all, let's take you through his career. This is not a guy. This is a guy who's been around for a while. This is his 10th season in the NHL. He's been around. He's had opportunities to score. Here are his goal totals so far from his career. He scored 17, 21, 21, 28, 16, 28, 24, and 20. So his previous career high was less than 30. And this year, he goes out and scores 50 goals. He's third in the league now behind Austin Matthews, who's been the MVP, and Leon Dreisaitl. That's just insane. And then post-game, he goes, well, I'm just happy it's over with because I thought the team was trying to force me the puck too many times, and I think it was affecting how we were playing as a team. So I'm happy I got it over with. Like, what? Really, dude? This is a huge career accomplishment, and that's what you're talking about? That's why this guy is so special. I mean, that's one of the things that makes him so special. That's why he's the unnamed captain of this team. But it goes deeper than that for me because I've been the number one Chris Kreider defender forever. Uh, Day one, I love this guy from the first time he showed up in the league. He showed up in the league as a rookie in the playoffs. He had five goals in the 2011-12 playoffs as a rookie. He came out of nowhere. Then he didn't even play the full season in 2012. And then his first full season really was 2013. However, while he showed promise from the start, he's had stretches where, you know, jokes have been made about him on Rangers Twitter forever. Larry Brooks, the Hall of Fame writer for the Rangers, has a would have a column every few weeks writing, where's Chris? Because Chris Kreider would go on these crazy streaks where he'd be really hot and then all of a sudden have bad streaks where he'd just, quote unquote, disappear. Hence, where's Chris? 
Rangers Twitter will always be like, wait, did Kreider go offside? What happened? Kreider offside is a joke that's been going around for Rangers Twitter for the past 10 years. Um, so some fans were high on him, some fans not. Some fans were like, hey, trade this guy. He's got high value. What I always loved about him is he always seemed to care more than anyone else. He always made it about the team. He always played hard. He always played with heart. He's really fast, and he always seemed like when the game was most important, he took his game to another level. He turned up, and that's what I love. You, you saw that from the first time when he came in. He came in as a rookie um, and contributed to a playoff team when he was a rookie in 2012 with five goals. That just tells you the kind of guy he is. Obviously, the goal he scored against Washington as Henrik Lundqvist is going off the ice uh, to tie the game in what was that game five against Washington in 2015. So there are so many different things that happen throughout his career that show that yes, maybe at sometimes he was streaky, but I thought when he was on, he was as good as any other player on this team. And I thought his team mentality and what he brought to the table aside from just actual performance on the ice was so important. Now it got to the point where a few years ago when the Rangers were clearly not going anywhere that season Kreider was having a really solid season, and they were going to have to make a decision. Do we keep this guy? Do we move forward? Or is this a rebuild? They were a borderline playoff team, and a lot of fans were just like, get rid of Kreider, get as much as you can for him. And I was upset. I remember all day I was waiting to hear what would happen. I was listening to the radio. Finally, the Rangers announced. It was February 25th, 2020, so right before the pandemic, and the Rangers announced, we're going to have a press conference at noon. So I was actually working in Brooklyn in the office, and I (laughs) sneaked to the bathroom at noon to turn on the press conference to see what are they going to say. And the first thing that happened was they announced the crazy car accident with Pavel Buchnevich and Igor Shesterkin, uh, which definitely no one was expecting. And then they announced that they extended Kreider for seven years, a seven-year contract. I was ecstatic. I immediately bought tickets to that night's game. It was one of the moments where I look back and I'm like, wow, that was just awesome. That was a guy who I think they should have named him captain right there and then. Uh, and yet a lot of fans on Twitter were like, oh, that's, they overpaid him. They're not going to be able to pay other guys. How could you pay for a player like this? He's inconsistent, blah, blah, blah. And for some reason, fans were just still upset at him. About the captain thing, I honestly think that he probably turned it down. They probably said to him, hey, we want to name you captain. He was like, yeah, that would take away from the team, so I'm not going to take that. And that's just the type of guy, that's the guy you want to have on your team. Obviously, having this guy on this team, this team that's completed the rebuild, is so incredibly important. This is a guy who, he is the last remaining piece from the old regime, from the Henrik Lundqvist team, from the team that went to the cup, from the team that was so good in those playoff runs. And that's going to be huge when this team gets into the playoffs and needs someone to lean on and needs someone to look to for guidance. He's going to be that guy and you know he's going to put the team ahead of anything because he's a team first guy. I hope he gets the record. I really hope he does. Yarmir Yager currently holds the Rangers record with 54 goals in a season. He's got seven games left to do it if they don't rest him at all, which they might rest him. Um, And I really hope he breaks it. As happy as I am for Chris Kreider and for what he's been able to mean and what he's done for this team this year in particular, I'm also happy for me. I'm going to take a victory lap. I'm going to say, hey, I called it. I was right about this guy all along. This guy is special. This guy is one of those guys that you don't give up on because you could tell that he's just different. He's built different mentally. So... I'm happy and I've defended him day one. So all the people, and I I tell this to everyone and everyone agrees with me. I've been talking about him like he's the best player on the team. He was the first Ranger jersey I owned was a Chris Kreider jersey. I've been all over this guy uh, from day one. He's my captain 
and now everyone else is hopping on the bandwagon. But hey, guys, I was here all along. I was right. I called it. So victory lap for me. All right, that's going to do it. That's really all I want to talk about. That was my most important thing that I wanted to talk about was Chris Kreider. Uh, Coming up, we have Hawks and Cavs, Clippers, and the Pelicans tomorrow. There was no NBA today. And then the first round, those are the last two playing games, the win or go home games. And then the first round of the NBA playoffs start. So I'm sure I'll be talking to you guys soon. We have Pesach now. It starts tomorrow. So there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, So we'll see if I have a chance to record. Hopefully I will. But like I said, I'm going to try and do this as often as possible. If I have something on my mind that I want to talk about, I'm going to just try and record and talk about it. So until next time, obviously, like subscribe, listen, uh, share it, rate it, share it with a friend. Appreciate it all. I'll see you guys. A million votes in a pool of light Electricity in the room tonight Born from fire Sparks flying from the sun hey, I hardly know you Can I confess I feel your heart Beating in my chest you come with me, tonight is gonna be the one Cause you fail, no fear for the fight You pull hope from defeat in the night There's an image of you in my mind Could be mad, but you might just be right Just be right